Um, and so I'm glad to see you all here at a weird time um, with a weird person standing up here uh, before you. Um, and, uh, and, and I appreciate you coming. Um, the one thing that was consistent is the donuts were still here. My kids were relieved. Um, since I was up here, I came a little early and I uh, texted back that the donuts were here just to make sure that my kids would still come. So, um, so they're there after the service as, as uh, maybe some uh, incentive to stick with it. But, uh, but thank you for being here. For those of you who don't know me, and that's probably a fair amount of you, my name is Andrew Perrin. And I am an elder here at ZPC, um, so I am not a pastor, so full disclosure, um, and, uh, and so I am up here, and I'm probably up here as a cautionary tale, uh, because when Jerry found out I was skipping the retreat, he volunteered me uh, for this task. So each of you in your, in your comfortable seats there, you, next time the retreat comes around, you may think twice about passing, uh, because you never know what you will be signed up for. Um, but I am glad to be here, and uh, we are in between series as well. So we just finished up the story of Daniel and, and the truth and the power in there. Um, and, um, and we uh, next week have Labor Day weekend, and then we'll be kicking off a new series. So uh, when Jerry asked me to speak, there was no set topic, um, which sounds like that would be easy, but sometimes just having complete freedom is paralyzing. Um, and so I thought I would just share on a passage that's been really meaningful to me, especially over the last five years um, of my life. I figured that way in sharing my experience, hopefully it would resonate with you all and um, it would keep me from getting too far over my skis uh, in this role. Um, so with that, I invite us all to read Galatians 4. Um, so we're going to be reading from Galatians 4 verses 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This passage from Galatians was a theme um, of a sonship discipleship program that I had gone through um, about five years ago. Um, and there's also a very similar passage to this in Romans 8. So if you were wanting to, uh, to check that out later, you can do so. Um, but this verse is like so many for me from the Bible that sound very familiar when you read it. Um, and I grew up in the church, and so sometimes for me it's tough when you have familiar passages to hear it with fresh ears. Um, but a lot of times when you come back after a time and spend a little bit more time looking into it, um, I'm always amazed at the truths that the Lord has in there that I see with fresh eyes. Um, in some ways it reminds me in a very different way of the experience of revisiting some of the music or movies I experienced as a child. When you go back and watch it as an adult, you see all this new layer of meaning that you had no idea was there. Um, as a quick aside, I, in, in now having my kids go through some of my childhood movies, I'm amazed at what you could get passed through PG in the 80s. Um, but now I see that with, with fresh eyes. And so I encourage you to look at this passage uh, in that way and, and try to find some new depth. So um, in, in many ways, though, 
this is a, a concise summary of the gospel. Um, so if you're going to the Colts home opener and your John 3.16 poster is feeling kind of tired, you could dust off Galatians 4 and, and really impress people and have uh, a similar example of truth that people could see. But it does. It walks through the gospel from the beginning, right? So God is perfectly righteous, and his, his law reflects that righteousness. So God has given us the law to help us reflect his righteousness. But the truth is none of us can keep that law. We've broken it. We break it daily. We break it hourly. Um, we are a disaster. We're totally lost. And the truth is we're actually probably far worse than we even acknowledge or think we are. But the great news is that God sent his son Jesus to come and redeem us. So he forgave us of our sins, took our place. And because of that, we are welcomed back into God's kingdom. And so we've been forgiven, we, we're, we're made new, and we are invited to participate in God's kingdom, both the kingdom um, as it is now and as it will be. So we talk a lot about that, that shaping our world to, to look like God's kingdom and then that fulfillment when Jesus comes back again. So in many ways, this is a great just story of the gospel. Um, but there are a couple phrases that I wanted to to call out that have given me a little bit deeper meaning and have really challenged me to live like I understand this truth. Because I think it's one thing for me to hear this, and I find it's a totally different thing for me to live like it's true. Um, and so that's what I really want to, to highlight today are two phrases from here that have been meaningful to me that, that maybe can, you can give a little bit of different meaning to you than you may have thought of when you first read it. Um, and then look at how we can apply that to our lives so that we can live with the confidence, the assurance that what we read is true. Um, and so the first phrase I want to look at is in verse 5, and that is adoption to sonship. Um, and this, um, just as a quick aside, th this passage, um, if, you, if you have it out and continue to refer back to it, a lot of the language is sonship, sons, and, and in, in talking today, I'll try to exchange sons and daughters, but I want to just emphasize that this isn't gender specific. Um, and actually, in, in chapter 3, right before this, Paul writes, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you, all want, you are all one in Christ Jesus. So I just want to just reiterate that right now so that, that, that it isn't a distraction or a misconception, but um, but this idea of adoption to sonship is actually one word. And it's interesting, if you check different translations of the Bible, you'll find this translated different ways because the concept doesn't really exist in English. It's actually one word in the Greek, and this was a legal term. Um, and so the Greco-Roman world, this adoption to sonship was actually a term referring to when an a, uh, heir was legally adopted in Roman culture. And so someone who is uh, infinitely smarter than me and studied on this has, has a, concise uh, a concise description of what this means. And so I want to uh, display that real quickly so you can follow along. But Francis Lyle in his book, Slaves, Citizens, and Sons, explain this concept. The profound truth of Roman adoption was that the adoptee was taken out of his previous state and placed in a new relationship of son to his new father. All of his old debts were instantly canceled, and in effect, the adoptee started his new life as part of this new family. The new father was liable for the actions of the adoptee 
for each owed the other reciprocal duties of support and maintenance. And that beautiful example, example of adoption is interesting because not only in this case do you, do you take um, an orphan, if you will, and take them out of their current situation, and, uh, and in this case it even says cancel their debts, every, you know, anything bad, any negative, any baggage associated with them is wiped clean, but it also places them into the new family, and they have the full experience of that family. And with salvation, it's that same way. And, and for a lot of my life, I think I viewed salvation and my experience with Jesus in largely negative terms. So I thought of it mainly in my head of the forgiveness of sins. So because of what Jesus has done, he's forgiven me, which is amazing, right? We've, the, we've all incurred massive debts through our sin. We can't, as I said at the beginning, None of us can keep God's law. And so it's an incredible, incredibly good news that that's wiped clean. Um, and, and that's kind of largely how I thought it. But the truth of the gospel is not only does that happen, but we are given all the good of Jesus as well. Um, I stopped short with like a half gospel, if you will. Just Jesus wiped it clean, I'm good to go, right? It's, it's a new, fresh start. But it's not just a fresh start. It's a start with all the history, all the good things of Jesus. All of God's righteousness is now given onto us. Um, in my day job, I'm a banker. Um, and so I thought this would be a good time for a banking illustration um, since these don't usually come up. But if you imagine this as um, you've, you know, someone has incurred massive amounts of debt. Um, Abby and I are renovating our kitchen and first floor, so I, I feel like I might be going down this path, but of, of, of incurring just debt that you could never pay back, right? And in this case, someone's just, they've, they've, they, there's no way they could ever pay this back. It's crippling, um, you know, and, and there's no bankruptcy. But in this case, it's as if the bank came, and not only did they forgive the debts, right? They just uh, wiped it clean. But it's as if the bank took all of its funds and put it into your account. And so, again, we just think a lot of times of the negative, like it's just been wiped clean, which is amazing news. But not only that, but we have all the unlimited riches that we can draw on. Um, I'd asked Mike when preparing for the service if there was maybe a, a, uh, a song that could uh, support that, but apparently Good Good Banker uh, is not in the ZPC catalog. So I'll have to follow up, but I, I think we'd have some pushback on, on that one. But... Again, I just want to emphasize uh, that, that notion of getting the fullness of God, that full status, inherited back. Because I think a lot of us, when we stop short and just think we've got a fresh clean, or a, a clean start, we don't fully grasp that our status has changed. We don't live like we're true sons and daughters of God. And instead, we live like we're orphans. Right? We, we may have had that baggage wiped clean, but we're still orphans. We're not fully sons and daughters. And um, in, in looking at this, um, Martin Luther, in, actually in his introduction to Galatians, he wrote on this, and he talked about two types of righteousness. So if you look at the gospel, again, not only are we forgiven, but we've gotten Jesus' righteousness. We are as righteous as Jesus because of him. But a lot of times we confuse righteousness because there's really two types. The first type is active righteousness. And active righteousness we're all very familiar with, and that's a lot of the paradigm that we live under. With active righteousness, we're trying to earn our way. 
right? That's how our culture works. If you do this, this, and this, you will get this, this, and this, right? In my work, we do lots of contracts, and the contracts state, if party A does X, Y, and Z, then you will receive this. And that act of righteousness is what we live under, um, and it can be crippling. But the good news for us is that there's passive righteousness. Um, and it's amazing, but we still resist it for some reason. And with passive righteousness, that is righteousness that we receive by doing nothing. It's given to us completely by faith, um, and there's nothing we can do. Martin Luther makes the analogy, it's like how the ground receives the rain. The ground does nothing to cause the rain, but it receives it freely. It's dumped on it. Uh, here in Indiana, the ground received lots of righteousness yesterday that we're, uh, that we're still suffering through on the humidity today. But, um, but I love that analogy because I think we still feel, even as Christians, even though we know we are broken, we still try to earn it somehow. Um, but just like the ground, we just need to accept that righteousness pouring down on us. Um, and so as we think about sonship, it's critical that we, that we realize that we, we can't earn it. The second phrase that I wanted to call out is actually a contrast. So in verse 7, Paul says we are no longer a slave, but God's child. And he sets up that contrast of slave and child. Um, Or, and for a lot of today, we'll look at orphan, because I think it's a a helpful contrast as well. Um, And so Jesus paints that contrast well, you know, in addition. And Jesus is the ultimate storyteller. And what's amazing is his parables uh, really transcend cultural context. A lot of times when you look at the parables, the stories Jesus told, there is some meaning that maybe in that, in that point in the Mediterranean or in the world that he was in, in the Greco-Roman world, had some different meaning than we see. Um, but all of these years later, it's still super relevant. And Jesus' is probably most famous parable um, if you were in terms of popularity or, or what we recognize, is the parable of the prodigal son. And in the parable of the prodigal son, he contrasts two sons who, ha- who are full sons and instead trade their sonship to be orphans. Um, and so he paints this story, and I want to walk through that with you. We're not going to read it, um, but, you, but you can find it. And I'll just walk through the story. So you have two sons Uh, and two brothers, right? So the first brother, the younger brother, is who we usually think of. So he's the son of this rich father. He has everything he could imagine. Um, And in that time, you know, the the sons would receive their inheritance when the father passed, and it would be passed through. I don't think there was an estate tax, um, but they got everything as is. Um, And the first son wanted to get his inheritance right away, right? So this was highly unusual, Uh, you know, this was not good form, but he goes to his father, he says, Father, I want, um, you know, I'm tired of living as your son, just give me what's owed, like, let's just not wait till you die, let's just, we know what's going to happen, let's just fast forward and take it. And the father, crazy enough, says, okay, and I'm sure that broke his heart, but he let the son do it. So the son goes off and he lives a wild life, and you know, for a while it seems great, like he doesn't have to live under his dad's rules anymore, He, he has parties. It seems like it's going well. And at this point, I don't know if anyone remembers, there was a show on VH1. I don't know if anyone even remembers VH1, but there was a show on VH1 called Behind the Music. And I used to love this show because it would always follow the stories, biographies of bands. And every time, I swear, it was structured this way, they would, you would see the bands like struggle, struggle, struggle. They'd make it big time. And at the peak of their success, the narrator would always kick in and he'd be like, 
Meanwhile, offstage, things were falling apart. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened with the, the prodigal son, right? Offstage, everything went, uh, went bad. And so he ends up both broke and broken. He burned through all his riches, and he's actually at a place so low, he's, he's tending pigs, and he's actually envious of the pigs because they have food that's provided for them. That tells you how low he is. So he's completely humbled and comes back and says, you know what, at least my father feeds his servants. So I'm going to go back and just ask if he would forgive me and, and make me a servant, and I can live on his farm, um, and I'd be better off at least than these pigs. So he goes back and he asks his father for that. What's interesting is the son still, he doesn't still at that point, he doesn't understand sonship, right? Because he's not asking even to be made a son again. He doesn't even think that's possible. He goes and he wants to ask if he can work his way just to forgive his debt to be a servant. Again, he's, he's shooting like us. He's settling really low. But the father has a different, a different response, right? As soon as he sees his broken, terrible son, he runs out and, and again, there's some, some comments about just even what the running meant. Like this dignified father runs to his son and he kisses him. And he embraces him. He puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, and he throws an enormous party. And he welcomes him back in. He says, you cannot be a servant. You are my son. And he brings him back in and reestablishes him, takes him from his orphan status, makes him a son once again. And a lot of us, and that's an awesome story, there's so much we can all identify with there. And a lot of times we leave it at that, really. Um, and even the name of the, of the parable that we, the common name that we say, the prodigal son, is singular, right? But there is another son. There's, the, there's another brother. The older brother, okay, he's been this whole time doing the right thing, right? He stuck it with his dad. He's the one who's, who's done well his whole life. He's the one with the good career, the good family, the kids that actually sit still when there's no Sunday school, right? He's the good son. And when his brother comes back, he is irate. He, he will have none of it. His father throws the party, and the older brother stomps out, right? He is, he's livid. And I, I used to, as a kid, when I read that, I just thought, I'm like, I didn't like the older brother. I don't, none of us, I don't think, really do. But I just, I couldn't understand Later, as I, as I thought through it, it was pointed out to me that the brother has reason. I thought it was just, he was just like, this isn't fair, which kids can identify with. But not only that, but the only way, if you think about it, the only way the brother, the younger brother, is restored at the family is at the expense of the older brother, right? Because the father already gave away half of his riches to the son that he already blew. So if he brings the younger son back in, He's only taking the riches away from the older brother. And so that's partly, not only is it his sense of justice that seems violated, but he's taking half of his money away. So the older brother is understandably uh, frustrated. He stomps out and doesn't come back in, right? He's just not having it. The sad irony of the story is at the end of the parable, we don't know. The brother's still outside the party. We don't know if he ever comes back in. And so the one who had it together the whole time, the one who did the right things, the one who looked like he had it together, at the end is the one who's probably left out. He's the orphan in the end. Um, the good news is there's actually, for us, is we have an ultimate older brother who, who understood sonship. 
So in Jesus, he understood that the only way we could be brought back in as sons and daughters is if he gave up his share. And fortunately, Jesus didn't have the temper tantrum and stomp out. He went through and he graciously gave up what he had so that we could have it. And that kind of brings us back to the beginning of the passage. But we've got this older brother, this ultimate older brother in Jesus, who understood sonship, who brought us back in, and has made us whole. And so we've been made righteous because of that. But sadly, just like the younger brother or the older brother, we don't understand the righteousness we have. Um, And so we don't live that way. We miss the experience of being sons. Both the older brother and younger brother were sons, didn't appreciate it, they weren't living like it, and instead they pursued an orphan life. Um, And as as you look at this, I would just ask you today, which of the two brothers do you identify with? And I think at multiple times in our life, we can identify with both. Um, And maybe at one point in your life, you're a younger brother who becomes an older brother. Um, For me, it's become apparent that I'm squarely in the older brother camp, right? I'm the brother that I hated when I read the story, the one that I thought was a whiny little brat. Um, and, um, And I've realized that that's oftentimes, even though I know this truth of Jesus, it's been taught to me since I was a child. Um, And at age five, I remember playing with my G.I. Joes in the sandbox and praying for Jesus to come into my heart. So even though I've known that, I've tried to live that way, inevitably, I still keep trying to earn it. Like, I've got this rain that's pouring down on me, this righteousness that's coming to me, and for some reason, I can't just accept it. I feel like I have to earn it. And, And in many ways, Although it's painful to say, I feel like I'm a Pharisee, like a recovering Pharisee, hopefully. Um, And if you've read Jesus' teachings, Jesus was super hard on the Pharisees. Because what were the Pharisees? They had, they obeyed the law. They went through very strict, um, lots lots of ways to obey the law. But inside, their hearts were very hard. Their hearts were, were harsh. And there was no love there. Um, And I feel, for me and the older brother, again, it's, some symptoms of this, right? You're, you're, for me, I, um, you can find yourself comparing yourself to others all the time. You can be critical, um, can be obsessed with control, right? That's probably a good one for a lot of us here. Control is part of your life, right? Because if you feel like you've got to earn it, you, you want to be able to control what you're doing. Um, and, uh, and for me, that's definitely where I'm at. I, you know, it's, it becomes like a performance mindset. Uh, for me, at work, every day we have kind of our sales results broadcast to the whole group, like how you're doing versus your peers. So it's hard for me to break out of that performance mindset. But I take that, sadly, into my faith. And for me, this is always a struggle. When I read this idea of sonship, I have to remind myself that Jesus' righteousness is given to me, and there's nothing I can do to, to earn it um, or, or take that away. Um, and for my wife, Abby, she was, you know, could identify with early on with the younger brother, right? We met um, in college, and she became a Christian at a Christian college. And at that point, felt very inadequate that she hadn't been, you know, following Jesus for her whole life, like so many people that she was around. Um, and for her, it was so freeing to realize that that didn't matter either, right? We were, were all broken and all hopeless on our own. But with Jesus, there's no difference. We're fully righteous. We are as righteous as he is because not only has that debt been wiped off, but all of the good has been 
heaped on us. Um, but the sad reality for us is that even though that's there, we still, we still settle for, for less, right? C.S. Lewis has this awesome um, quote that I like from his, his uh, essay, The Weight of Glory. Um, if, you, if you have a chance to read that, it's, it's really great. But in that, in that um, essay, he writes, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I think for us, it's easy for us to see when others are settling for less. Um, certainly harder to see, easier to see that in others than we can see it in ourselves. Um, but we are just like that example, right? The, the younger brother, he had everything, and he literally traded his for mud in the slums. Um, and, and we are no different. The prophet Jeremiah writes a very similar passage. I think C.S. Lewis actually kind of stole from Jeremiah, which is probably good, right? If you're going to plagiarize or take ideas, I think you should probably do so from the Bible. But Jeremiah wrote, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Brothers and sisters in Christ, hear this. No matter what path you've taken, whether you've been the, the, the younger son and, and lived the wild life with the obvious struggles, the obvious failures, or you've been the older brother who's held it together, you know, with the, the good job, the good performance, the seemingly on the outside perfect. We all, in both of those cases, are living like orphans and are giving up these blessings that we have if we truly lived as sons and daughters um, of God. And through Jesus, we are made righteous. And I think this is important to remember. We are fully righteous. Not just righteous plus uh, secret sin number one or righteous minus ugly flaw number two. Right? We are 100% fully righteous, just as Jesus is. Um, and Jesus calls us to reject this orphan mindset that we get and to embrace, um, embrace what he's given us and to start living as sons and daughters. Um, but that orphan mentality always creeps back in, at least for me. Again, I've been talking about this. It's been a, a, a lifelong journey for me. Um, and even knowing the truth of this passage and understanding and reflecting on what true sonship means, um, I still struggle with this. And one, one question that, I've, that I found that was, that was posed to me that helps me identify where my heart is a lot of times is, you know, what, to answer the question, what does God think of me right now? So I'd ask you to reflect on that. You know, what does God think of you right now? If you could picture God and you were talking to him face to face, what would his face look like? Um, and if your answer to that is anything less than he is pleased with me, then you're living in an orphan mindset. If you're like me, that answer might come back to, when you're asked that question, you honestly answer it. You're tempt I, I, my mind goes to, well, ugh, he probably saw the way I you know, treated the kids as we were trying to get here on time, right? Or, I don't know how many drinks I had last week, but God probably does, right? Or, um, 
you know, he can see that ugliness, that one secret sin that no one else, not, not a single other person knows about, he knows it's there. Or if you're doing well, you may be thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, actually, probably he'd be okay with me this week. Like, I actually came during a weird Sunday at a weird time with a weird guy talking, right? So he'd, he'd be proud of me. Or I served at IHN. I'm sure God, you know, that, that helps. Um, and, or, you know, I spent, I was really actually very disciplined this week in praying and spending time reading the Bible. And again, those are good things. But when we start to think of that as us earning our righteousness, it turns us into the older brother. Or we live with the shame of the younger brother. So wherever you're at, if, you know, it's just really hard to remember that we've got that full righteousness. We don't need to do anything more. Now, if we have that righteousness, we will reflect Jesus. So don't, don't get me wrong. It's not like we just throw it out and live careless lives. But we don't need to be crippled with shame. And likewise, we don't want to be hampered with pride. Because both of that leads to, to orphan living. Um, in closing, I just wanted to share, um, give some homework here. And so, so now that we're, everyone's in, in back to school for the most part, even college, it seemed appropriate. Um, in the um, discipleship program I had gone with, we had, we had get, been given homework, um, and I wanted to share that with you. It was called the kind of the tongue assignment. And so over this next week, I want you to pay attention to the times when you do the following. And there's, some, there's some, uh, a spot on your bulletin that you can, um, you can write this down, or uh, you, can, you can enter it in your phone. Um, so those of you who were secretly texting down here, it should be you should be open and, and available to write this down. But I want you to write down these things. So just pay attention when you gossip, you complain, criticize, shift blame or make excuses, defend yourself, boast, or deceive others. Because these are all symptoms of kind of an orphan mentality. These are the things we tend to do to make up when we don't feel we have God's righteousness. Um, and again, if you notice these things, um, we've talked about moving away from a performance mindset. So when you, do, when you notice these things, don't feel shame, right? Don't, if you're like me, you, you'll launch into like a self-help plan to stop doing that thing, right? But that just doubles down on the problem, right? So when you notice these things, this is simply a symptom that, you're, that you really, that your heart is living like an orphan. And so what I would ask you to do when that happens is first of all, acknowledge it, um, but remind yourself of Jesus's love. Remind yourself what Jesus has done for you, and then pray that the Holy Spirit would work in your life and help you experience that sonship. So again, this isn't a, a thing to just kind of make you look even better, but in fact, when you see these things, it's just an indication that you're, that you're straying. And for me, this is a daily struggle. It's one that you keep coming back. And, you know, every morning when I wake up, I would agree, yes, I believe Jesus died and saved, my, saved me from my sins, and I can live and participate in his kingdom. Um, but I, it's a struggle to live that way. Um, and so hopefully running through these, we'll, we'll find those ways where you're, where you're straying and then pray for the Spirit. Again, how do we receive righteousness? We receive it freely. We don't do anything for it. Um, but pray that the, that the Spirit would work in our heart. And actually, um, in, the, in verse 6 of, of the passage we read, it, it explains that it's the Spirit that brings that experience of, of being a full son and daughter. In closing, 
I would just remind everyone that we are no better or worse than any other sinner. Um, But through Jesus, we are made new. And not only are we made new, but we are fully righteous. The debt has been wiped clean, and all of the good stuff has been heaped on us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are full children of God. May we believe that and live that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your love and your grace. We pray as we go out today that we would acknowledge what you've done for us, that we would accept the righteousness you've given us through Jesus, that we would leave our orphan ways, that we would um, stop trying to earn it or, or stop living in shame with what we've done, that we would recognize that no matter what we've done, um, your righteousness is good enough for us. Um, we pray for our uh, brothers and sisters in Brown County that you would provide a safe travel back and a, and a good conclusion to the retreat. And as we go forward this week, we, we pray that we would leave and, and embrace you as true sons and daughters. In your name we pray, amen.